All right. Go, go, sports, go. Go, sports, go. Hey, everybody. What do you say? Sports came back, and I'm watching it today. That's right. I tried to do something a little bit different, a little bit of a rhyme. It's kind of like Dr. Seuss-esque, but we're not going to say anything about that. But welcome to episode 12 of the Wolf's Den podcast. And like I just said before in that last sentence, sports have returned. And when sports have returned, I like to do something a little bit special for that. And what I mean by that is the den once again is not, is, I am not alone. Excuse me. It is crowded. And it's crowded with two men who are used to being in charge and making decisions. But that gets completely reversed this week because I'm in charge and I make the decisions. And it feels really good to tell a certain individual what to do because he likes to tell a lot of individuals what to do. And it's not one person I'm talking about. It's just only one. The second one's a, lot, a little bit more diplomatic, but that's okay. All right. Anyway, so the first guy I'm going to introduce is a man who was my roommate for two years. He's a man that I like to consider a drill sergeant. He always is in go, go, go mode anytime he's in charge of something. Always has his head down. Extremely hard worker. Dedicated to his craft. Ready to talk some sports. That man is a man I didn't just see last week on a Zoom call, but, you know, I did. Um, that's Tom Krasnowski. Tom, from your bed in Allentown, New Jersey. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing okay, Jordan. I'm doing good. That was a heck of an intro right there. And uh, I never knew you thought of me as a drill sergeant before. I'm not sure how to react to that one. I'm not it's sure a that's a compliment or a negative. No, it's, it's a compliment. You know, you have a certain style of yours that works for you. It won't work for me because I'm much, too much of a goofball. And if I try to be that way, no one would take me seriously. But it works for you. You have the sense of it on you. And it's a compliment. So there we go. All right. Well, All let's right. get going. Let's introduce uh, guest number two. Guest number two is a man who is the chairman, as I like to call him, the prince of QBSN, a man who is one of the most friendly people people I've ever seen in my life, and a man who is so good at connecting with other people, and a man who loves soccer and does stuff called London's Finest, and a man who does something for Circle the Wagons on WQAQ, and a man who is ready to go from straight out of Sparta, New Jersey, where my cousins have a lake house at. That is Mr. Will Fowler. Will, how are we doing today, buddy? Um, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm, uh, I'm excited for this. It's been, uh, it's been a long time coming. And I, I have to say, Jordan, I have listened to the first 11 episodes of The Wolf's Den diligently. Wow. Uh, the night they come out, actually. I've tuned into That's them. awesome, dude. And I think my favorite part about every single show, without fail, is your intros, dude. You just You know how to do it. You know how to make your, your guests feel welcome, feel special. And uh, I don't know if you could tell, but for Tom's intro and for my intro, I had the biggest smile on my face because that's those are my favorite parts, my man. This is uh, I'm excited for this. Let's do this. Oh, I'm touched, man. I don't know how I'm going to follow up that, <laughs> but we're going to try. And how we're going to try is talk about the NFL. And thank you very much for that, Will. That was very kind. But the NFL we go. As the first thing we'll talk about the NFL kind of has to do with the MLB as well, and that is – the Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, besides going to concerts with his girlfriend at the Sprint Center, besides buying people dinner, besides throwing 50 touchdowns, besides being an NFL MVP, and just besides being one of the greatest human beings on this earth, is now a part owner of the Kansas City Royals. And a baseball connection that he has is that his father was a shortstop, or no, a pitcher for the New York Mets. So tell me what you guys think about this move and to me first off it just seems like a lot of fun and, and another check mark on the what's going to be a legendary career of mr patrick mahomes so uh, i tom you want to go or do you want me to go there you will cool um no I, I think this is cool uh we there are a lot of uh a lot of premier athletes 
both active and retired that have uh, either minority or, or some majority stakes in, in teams represented by the same city and other leagues. Obviously, uh, Mahomes is a Chiefs guy, so him buying a stake in the Kansas City Royals, it, it makes sense, but it's also, it's also double cool for Kansas City sports fans that their franchise quarterback is now investing in, uh, in the baseball club there. Um, it, it's, it's just a cool storyline. I guess, I guess football wasn't enough for Mahomes. He's done, uh, he's done pretty much everything already, and he's, what, 24, 25 years old. So uh, he, he's dipping his toe somewhere else some, in, in a field that he hasn't yet conquered. But I don't know. It's, it's a nice feel-good story about a, a superstar uh, investing money in one of the other teams in the area. It's oh. fun. I mean, you know, the Royals need any bit of sizzle they can get, and attaching the Mahomes name to the brand, even if it's less than 1%, which it probably, in all honesty, is a very small percent, any bit of sizzle will help here in Kansas City. Uh, they got great barbecue, but that's the only sizzle that's going on right now. Uh, the baseball field <laughs> a little dull. So, you know, adding him in Mahomes could bring in a little bit of enthusiasm, may, might make some more people say, well, you know, maybe I'll turn my uh, attention back to this baseball team that, uh, you know, maybe I've been ignoring for a little bit here. So, you know, it's probably more so just fan service and, and, and something for his portfolio. But, uh, you know, you can't really go wrong here. The Royals aren't doing much anyhow. Uh, so bringing in somebody else, it, especially a guy in the local community, it's fun. Uh, no, uh, no, no, no bad part of this story here. Oh, for sure. Tom's thinking about it more from the financial perspective. I have some creative ideas. I hope Patrick Mahomes shows up to a game in a mask. Of course, we have him, Jorge Soler, arm wrestling contest before the game. Him, Alex Gordon, dance off before the game. I think I think we can do some fun things with Patrick Mahomes wearing a royal blue uniform and just being the man that he is. So we, we pretty much said all the points about that. And, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun for that team. So now we'll move on to what I think is this week has been a lot of extension week. And the first extension that's come, is the LSU Tiger, the Burrow. That's right. As Joe Burrow, the new Bengals quarterback from his hometown of Ohio, as all of us have had Molly Andy, as she has mentioned that she knows Joe Burrow, and I can't believe that's a connection. But another connection is Joe Burrow and, and dollars, as he will now have $36 million contract, and he's going to receive $23 million signing bonus. So Whoever would like to go first, explain what your feelings are on that. I don't know the years for sure, but if someone knows, say it, because I don't. So. Before we get into the uh, financials of the football here, I just want to put something out here. If Joe Burrow had a podcast, it would be called Joe's Burrow, would it not? Oh, my. That's fire. Wow, that's not bad. <laughs> that's good. That's not bad. At that point, it would kind of Joe's directly Burrow. compete with Wolf's Den. No, it no, it wouldn't. But well, would it be spelled – would it be spelled B-U-R-R-E-A-U-X, or would it be like Burrow, B-R-U-U-O-W? Well, that, that, I don't know. That, that, that depends. If you had the X, less of a competition here. But if he called it Joe's Burrow, we might have a little lawsuit on our hands here. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I think, uh, Joe Burrow is the type of guy now that many girls are going to have on his wall, just like with Harry Styles. He's going to go right up on that wall. We're going to have Burrow on the back of it. It will compete with the Wolves then. There's no way it won't. He is already a mainstream attraction. So, How many girls do you know that have football players' posters on their wall? Oh, I'm going to bet you many, okay? I'm going to bet you that many have them on their wall. I, I, I can't really name you one that I would know of right now, but I'm going to be honest with you and say that I'd say many of them would definitely, if they look at Joe Burrow play quarterback, it's kind of Brady-esque, so they'd go get him on their wall. So It's, it's a lot of money a for throw. four years. He's but, a hard uh, you know, it's uh, 
it's the number one overall pick. It's the most sure number one pick we've had in a long time uh, since Andrew Luck. Uh, and, you know, this guy, he looks like he's a proven winner. I mean, Cincinnati has to build around him, but they got some good pieces there. And, uh, you know, the cost of doing business, that's all that is. You know, uh, it, it was uh, now Cincinnati can officially, all their fans can officially look forward to getting those jerseys and getting those posters because he's locked up for four years and possibly more with the way those tags work. So uh, rejoice, Cincinnati. Who day? Oh, man. yeah. <laughs> my my uh, guess is sidestepping that from Tom. Um, my guess is uh, it's probably a four-year deal with uh, with an option for a fifth. But uh, listen, we all knew that that Joe Burrow was going to play. I mean, the signing the contract is not hugely hugely important because even if he chose not to sign, I'm pretty sure he has to play two years in, on like a, a minimum rookie, something like that. I don't know what the rule is, but he would have been playing for Cincinnati regardless. Um, but now that now that we've got the the press release, Joe Burrow signs for thirty four and a half million to whatever it was thirty two and a half million dollars. Uh, it's it it feels it's like all right, let's do this. You know what I mean? Like now now it feels like official. This dude, like you said, Tom, proven winner. I mean, he he is going, I think, to turn Cincinnati around. He was he was the the main piece of one of the best, if not the best, offenses in the history of college football in a single season. I mean, this dude is a is a from from beginning to end, from the first throw of the game until the clock expires, he's a baller. I mean, I'm excited to watch him in Cincinnati. We obviously knew he was going to play there, but now that now that the pen has gone to paper, it's like, all right, let's let's rock, let's do this, let's see what he can do in Cincy. Oh my God, Amen. There's not much more I can say about that. Joe Exotic, Burroughs, Bengals, a lot of alliteration and yeah, Tiger yeah. King references there, but Joe Burrow. See that translates to wins. Oh, for sure. We're, we'll see if. Him and Zach Taylor can be the recipe that finally tastes good for Bengals fans. We'll see if that happens. But another extension we'll talk about is an Ohio State man, a bit, a kind of a rival of LSU. Maybe not as big as Clemson, but still, that's Joey Bosa, not his brother Nick, who has been making waves for the 49ers in his rookie year. But his brother is also very good and will be very good in a Chargers uniform for a long time as they locked him up for five years. $135 million deal, and apparently it breaks the record for a defensive player. So what do you boys think about this one? Because the money here is a lot. It's a lot of money. Yeah, this is, this is $35, $37 million a year, if my quick math is correct, um, which is a, a hell of a lot. That's a stupid amount of money uh, for, for a defensive end. Joey Boza is, is very, ter- very talented. I thought, I thought I got the brothers wrong. Joey Boza is very talented. <laughs> You're good. Um, and 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 does he deserve it? That that's that's part of the argument. I would I would say yeah, probably because uh, he's good enough. But I think what surprises me the most about the Chargers doling out this massive amount of money uh, to Joey Bosa is I don't know if you guys are aware, uh, but we're in the middle of a pandemic, and next see this upcoming season financial income wise uh, is is going to be very up in the air with whether or not you can get game day revenue, tickets coming in, merchandise being sold. Uh, concessions, all that stuff. This is a similar problem that we're seeing uh, all over Europe and European football is, is nobody wants to go out and spend money on players because you don't know where the money is going to come from or if you'll be able to balance the books. So I'm a little bit surprised that, that the Chargers had the money to extend him now because we're in the middle of so much uncertainty financially. Um, but if, if they think it's worth it and if they've got the money to, to give to him, you'd rather lock it down sooner rather than later. That's a lesson that the Jets learned the hard way with Jamal Adams. So uh, happy for him. He probably deserves the money. And the dude, the dude's a stud, one of the best defensive players in the league. So 
That's right. I totally forgot about the Jamal Adams thing until you just mentioned it. And that's a really good point that you made, Will, about everyone kind of, you know, sometimes we forget that we're in the middle of a very unprecedented situation and, and that money isn't at a premium right now like it usually is for these teams. So the sooner rather than later thing is that a really good point because you don't know when that later is anymore. So, right. Dom, what do you got to say? Well, the only problem I have with this is I'm not sure Joey Bosa is the guy that comes to mind right here the highest paid defensive player in football history. You know, like he's a, he's a real solid player, uh, 40 sacks in 51 games, which is. Wow. Not, it's, it's, it's 80%. That, that's really good production. And he's, he plays the run pretty well. And, you know, he, he's a, he's a good guy too. Uh, he hasn't had any issues, which is, you know, hard to find these days. It seems with uh, all of the players that seem to have headlines. Joey Bosa doesn't have headlines. That's something good for him too. But um, that is a lot of money for uh, one specific player at one specific position that kind of relies a lot on rotation as well. You know, I don't mind giving that money to a quarterback. I don't mind giving that money, um, you know, like a prorated version of that to like a captain of a defense, like a linebacker or, um, you know, the thing is though, defensive end, it's kind of a position sometimes you see with turnover and guys get injured, you know, guys get worn down and there's a heavy rotation. They don't play all 100% of the snaps because it would just, it's not physically possible. So, you know, I do worry a little bit about the contract being a bit of an overpay, but kind of like what I said about Burrow, it being the cost of doing business. I mean, Bosa, they weren't going to let him get away. They kind of got caught there, the Chargers. You know, they had to give him uh, an extraordinary amount of money. Um, the thing is, their cap situation does look pretty good. I just looked a few years into the future. They don't have many long-term deals uh, expensive which is good uh, in a sense that they have the money to pay Bosa, but it could be bad in the sense that you wonder if this could, you know, clog them up in the future. But uh, in the, for the immediate two to three year period right here, all good here with Bosa. I do worry though, uh, by the time we enter years three and four of this, that this could be something that kind of handcuffs the Chargers a little bit. I'm not sure right now they're at the super contention point where it's okay to be splurging 37 million a year on a guy. Yeah, no, that's another fair point. And usually when we see with extensions, we see two options. Either one, the player is now even more motivated to perform. Or secondly, the player gets really complacent and does not perform at the level he's supposed to. I think we're going to see the first one with Joey Bosa. I think that the Chargers defense right now, it's a little bit of a disarray. They need to get a lot more pieces back there, but they should be happy they have a guy who can definitely go get the quarterback and definitely put guys like Tom Brady on his back. So... Good, good for them. Good for them. And I was going to talk about Raheem Mozart, but we can, we can skip over that because I feel like there's a little bit something more important to talk about here. And that is with the New England Patriots. Obviously, they've had one of the biggest off seasons they've had in years with what's happened with them. And usually they're a bit more in the down low and usually get a steal of some off seasons, usually get really players that can fit their system. But speaking of players, they're not going to have a lot of their big time players this year because the NFL just like all the other sports is given the choice to opt out of the season. And some of these players have decided to opt out for the Patriots and they include Patrick Chung, big time safety for them. Dante Hightower, a long time consistent linebacker for them. Matt Lacoste, a tight end. I can't think of anyone else off the top of my head, but this is big for the Patriots because they usually have these guys who are there to instill the culture. That's what they had with Tom Brady. And now they have these guys who are, they were supposed to do that. And they don't have them anymore. So what does this mean for the Patriots and how they're going to look in 2020 with Cam Newton and Julian Edelman and all these other pieces that are new to the system? 
for first of all, from a sporting perspective, if there's one team in the NFL that can sustain this kind of blow, it's the New England Patriots because Bill Belichick will probably just go to some random trailer park in Missouri and pluck four wide receivers <laughs> out from there and then have sure. them be turned into all pros. Um, but from, from a personal perspective, I mean, player safety comes first, obviously. Uh, player safety and, more importantly, the safety of your family comes first. Um, the, the, the virus has not seemed to uh, die down enough to the point where we can safely resume daily life. That's why every league, with the exception of the MLB, is playing in a bubble. That's why we are still unsure if there will be fans in NFL stadiums. So um, you can't fault the players at all on an individual level. If, uh, if, if their priority is to keep themselves safe and to keep the safety of, uh, of their families safe, because obviously it's, it's not a virus that, that will, will increase for, for, a, for an athlete at the very least, someone in between in his 20s and 30s in good health like a typical football player is. Um, the odds of, of dying through, through COVID are, are significantly low, but that's not to say that you won't develop some other sort of, of lifelong permanent uh, a defect, I guess, for lack of a better word. We all know what happened with Eduardo Rodriguez, who caught the virus, and he's obviously still with us. But right. yeah, he's he's now being treated for some other things. So um, I think player safety obviously should come before everything else. And if these guys don't feel that they're uh, they're comfortable enough, or, or that they don't think it's safe enough to perform, whether they're the 53rd man on the roster or the first, uh, everyone has their right to opt out if they feel that's the best decision for them and their families. I, again, well said. I don't really even want to say more than that because all of that was just so eloquently stated and isn't stated i feel like enough but tom anything you want to say uh marcus cannon is a player on the patriots who's opting out that's a player who had a cancer uh diagnosis earlier in his life as a compromised you know immune system or you know is somewhat at risk now yeah that's a perfect example of why you know health and family those other things are more important uh than, than than football uh, just from a football perspective for the Patriots, uh, like you said, Will, they do handle uh, these kinds of adversities better than most other teams. Uh, they have a knack for that. And um, I do think this also, uh, in a roundabout way, sort of helps them continue to get younger. They're going to bring in a lot of young talent. Some of the guys are going to miss. You know, you're not going to nail all those guys. But uh, some of the players like Chung and Hightower might not have been with the Patriots much longer. So although this was an unintended way, you know, for them to get some time off, and not the one anybody preferred, this might sort of be a catalyst to bring us into some kind of new look Patriots moving forward into the 2020s. Sure, that's definitely a good point there, Tom. I didn't really think about the younger players that could be coming in. I'm thinking more along the lines of who's going to be that guy to instill the Belichick culture besides Bill Belichick. But I believe that'll probably be the McCordys, knowing if they're still going to play or not. But yeah, no, good point, guys. There's not really much more we can say on the Patriots, but for Will's side of it, hopefully he hopes the Patriots finally kind of take a step back to the Jets and Bills. So we'll see if that's the year for that. But They're going to need to take about eight steps back. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I know. Most Jets fans are still pretty upset about what's happened with Jamal Adams, and I yeah. talked about that trade last week, and wow, it definitely was a bombshell. It was a Schefter bomb, not a Woj bomb for sure. <laughs> so. Now we will talk about one last thing before we debut a new segment here with you guys on the show. That's right. We're doing things new wow. because you two are here, the kings, the princes of this stuff. All right. So it's the new Monday night football team for ESPN. And it's been long rumored who's going to be on it. And I personally think it's the three best people they could have gotten right now. And it was reported by Jim Miller. And here are the names we got. Steve Levy, who's been at ESPN for about 28 years. 
His hair has gone completely gray. Kind of looks like a silver fox now. Uh, Boston, Massachusetts guy, you know. Lewis Riddick, so insightful, so passionate about the game of football. A front office guru, really knows his stuff well. Brian Greasy, a guy who played the quarterback position, a huge step up from Jason Witten in the booth. I mean, Jason Witten had Lego hair. I'm the first guy to tell you that. Well, Fowler once had Lego hair. Yeah. Bro, I still do have Lego hair. What are you talking about? I just have I shorter Lego hair. That Lego hair. Jordan, I don't know if I told you about this, but my goal for uh, for quarantine, and this has nothing to do with, with the show at all, but while we're on the topic, my goal was to grow my hair as long as I could and then try to put it into a man bun just to see what it looked like. But it got too long to be tamed, so I couldn't uh, I couldn't deal with it. Now I got this 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 trim going. Interesting. Okay. No, I like the haircut you got now. It's very soccer-like. Appreciate we appreciate like to see it. that. Yeah. But – Lewis Riddick, Brian Greasy, step up from Jason Witten uh, really quickly because, again, I guess the 40-minute time limit's on this. And, and I, like I said, Zoom, I hate Zoom for that. I don't want to play it for the premium because I don't think anyone here does. So <sighs> what do you guys think about that? Well, I think, like you said, it, the, the hand was forced here a little bit. It, they, they tried, ESPN tried to get a lot of big-name talent uh, from external sources. And for various reasons, they all uh, – were rejected, uh, rejected ESPN, whether it be for money or whether it be other reasons, or just not wanting to be a broadcaster. Um, so this is one of the best options they had left. Uh, Levy calls a good game. He's done uh, with Greasy for college football. And uh, Riddick is one of the better analysts they have. It'd be interesting how he adapts to games, but um, I think he can handle that. He's shown an ability to do that. The only thing I have to say about this that is negative is that and it's not through any of their faults specifically. It just isn't that big-time Monday Night Football feel that we've been chasing for um, a long time here. You know, ever since that uh, that brilliant Tarico and Gruden booth that had moved on, ESPN's been trying to find that big-time booth, and they've had a lot of different in, uh, kind of intermediate ones in there. And I think this one is going to get the nuts and bolts right. In fact, I know they will get the nuts and bolts right. They call a good game, but um, – Either, either Riddick's going to have to become a rising star or they're going to have to find another rising star because in terms of star power, it is a step down from the other networks, but I think it might put together a more, uh, let's say, comprehensive and maybe less uh, kind of out-of-sorts broadcast they've had the last couple of years. Yeah, this is maybe the one time ever that I will agree with Tom so much so to the point <laughs> that I don't feel the need to add anything else. Um Lewis Riddick is, is really good, I think. I think he'll be good. And Steve Levy, obviously, uh, is, is very good, too. But like Tom said, you, you, mo most primetime booths especially, uh, you look at the rundown, you look at the A-team of play-by-play and color, and you've got either a professional athlete who really excelled uh, in their – this is across all sports, too, not necessarily just uh, with football. You've either got a professional athlete who excelled at his position and, and now is known by the entire sports fan base, or you've got somebody – who's been doing play-by-play -play for 25, 30 years, and it's impossible to imagine that primetime spot uh, being called without him. So uh, I think this Monday Night Football team is exciting, but they don't check off either one of those two boxes. Um, say what you want about Greasy's quarterbacking career. Um, but uh, but re regardless, I, I think I agree with Tom on this one to the point that I don't have much else to say, which is No, weird. for sure. I, I agree with you guys, too. And I think this is the best team they've had in a while. And a, the low point was for sure Berger McFarland and his carts and his spreadsheet of notes and his hand gestures and all, all that sort of stuff. And Joe Tessitore and his fake energy, as Tom tells me all the time, he does have that sometimes. I can see it. So he's good with boxing, though, that's for sure. So 
ESPN did a bit of a reset. I like the reset that they went with, and hopefully this turns out well. And I want these guys to do well together. I think they can really gel. So now is the time that we're going to start a new segment here on the Wolves' Den, and I can't wait to segment this. And this is an idea that I had when Tom, a lot of the time during the NFL season, likes to create lists. He likes to organize stuff. He likes to put stuff out there to me and my good compadre, William, over here. And the one thing he did that with was – a list of the quarterbacks right now in the NFL that from best to worst, who he thinks are best to worst. So I figure this would be a great topic to talk about on the podcast. And we're going to debut it right now. It's called look at the list as generic of a name as it comes. Cause I couldn't think of anything else. Less is more. Sure. Sure. And usually I like to do a little bit more, but I guess less will work for this one. So um, whoever wants to start Tom, it's your list. I, I want you to, Give me as quick as you can before we move on to a different meeting. Why you feel like this is the list that you go with confidently. I like to rank quarterbacks based on tier. So you got tier one, who are the guys who are the best of the best. They win games by themselves. Um, you know, they are the top of the, 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 the absolute cream of the crop. Patrick Mahomes is clearly number one. Aaron Rodgers is still there in that class. Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, and Drew Brees is still in that class for me. He runs that out at five. Those are five of the tippy-top quarterbacks. And even Breeze, he almost borders into tier two. But I still give him one more year, one final shot. Tier two is where we hit the above-average quarterbacks. These guys have potential to win playoff games. Deshaun Watson is the best of the rest. And it's, I've been a big Deshaun Watson fan since college. But it's surprising that he's the sixth-best quarterback in the NFL. But he has earned that right. He absolutely deserves to be there. He's one step ahead of Tom Brady. I got Prescott, Wentz, and Ryan rounding out the top ten. Then you got to kind of got a clump of above averageness: the Jimmy Garoppolo's, the Kirk Cousins, the Ben Roethlisberger's, and a couple of young guys, Allen, Murray, and Mayfield. That clump there from one through six, uh, 11 through 16, could kind of fluctuate as the season goes on. I don't think any of those guys are top 10 right now, but a couple of them have the potential to be. So I think that's a good place to put them. But right now we're at average. That was 16. If there's 32 starting quarterbacks, that means 16 is average. Baker Mayfield's right there. I put him one step above Matt Stafford just because Stafford hasn't shown the ability to stay healthy. Now, Stafford uh, is a could be in that upper level, maybe even top 10 class when he is uh, completely right. But the problem is he has not ever been able to stay healthy, and he doesn't have much around him. So if I got him there, followed by Rivers, Tannehill, and Carr, um, these guys can make the playoffs with some help. Uh, they can't do it all by themselves. You could say the same thing for Jared Goff. Um, now, when I first made this list, Cam Newton was number 22. He had no team. I think that's still an appropriate place for him because we haven't seen him play at a high level yet uh, in, in some time. He looked disinterested last we saw him with Carolina. I'd be curious to see him in a new scheme, but Newton's a guy that can go way up the list or way down, depending on how it goes. He is the big boomer bust guy. Uh, and then we, we hit the part of the list where we're at wild cards. We're at list number 24 right here. I put Burrow ahead because I really think Burrow at number 24, he's already better than a lot of quarterback situations around the league. So Burrow goes there. Darnold and Jones kind of go hand-in-hand, 25-26. I have Darnold right now just ahead of Jones because he's done it for one more year. And I just I trust him a little bit more with his ball security, particularly when it comes to fumbles. Um, not sure uh, if he's hit his full potential yet. In fact, I know he hasn't. But a step ahead of Jones. Then we got kind of the young guys. Tua Tagovailoa, Drew Locke, Jameis Winston I put into the top 32 as a backup because he is one of the wow. 32 better quarterbacks in this league. But uh, 
He's, he's in that wild card tier. And the rest of the league is kind of, I put too young to evaluate or too irrelevant to care. The most notable name from that list is Terod Taylor. The worst name on the list is Mitchell Trubisky. So there's a lot to digest in there. But I think the big ones for a lot of people when I have this list, and most of them say it's pretty good. I it is. It I think it's really good. Most people say it's an excellent list. But the big ones <laughs> I'm going to talk about, Prescott and Wentz. Yes, that that's the one. We're going to talk about the next meeting for sure. Yeah, Prescott and Wentz is the big one. And it's tough to place guys like Stafford and Newton. And it's tough to figure out where – you fit in Jones, Darnold, and Locke. They're all kind of around the same area. And, you know, is Derek Carr better than Jared Goff? Where does Cam Newton fit? There are definitely some questions in there, and I can't wait to hear what Will Fowler has to say about all this. Yeah, I'm going to hold that off because I don't want to awkwardly end this when someone's at the end of a sentence, so I'm just going to stop the recording right now and uh, move on to a second meeting and do another impromptu part two for the Wolf Send followers that are patient with this. I really appreciate your cooperation, and we'll see you back in a minute. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, I I don't I don't have too many gripes with it. I, I really let me let me let me rephrase that. I have I have plenty of gripes with it, but none that are serious enough to bring up in a public setting. Um, I, I have a bunch of minor tweaks that I would make, as is customary in our friendship, Tom. But, it is a forty-minute <laughs> list. I mean, I, you know, there's going to be some minor gripes. I have I have two big ones. Number one, uh. Listen, tier one is is fine, but the order I disagree with. You've got the the the, the reigning MVP at four. I think that's uh, yes, sir. Yes, I do. A little bit. A Win little a playoff bit game. I, I've, listen, the the difference between four and three or four and two is not massive, but I think Lamar Jackson has earned the right to bump up to either second or third based on his season last year. Um, I I'd put Wentz over Prescott. I think that's that's obvious. I know we'll get into it a little bit more. Jimmy Garoppolo is a little bit too high. Josh Allen. Okay, Josh Allen is stupid high. Josh Allen is not an above-average quarterback. He is average at best, Thomas Krasnowski, okay? I believe Josh I put him at 14. 16 is average, so he's right in that range. He's in Tier 2, which is above-average QBs. I'm going based on the name no, of the 16 is average. He's right in that range. Okay, that's not how you've labeled your chart. You've labeled Josh Allen. <laughs> well, am I going to have to put in a subhead for every single quarterback? No, you can. If you think Josh Allen is average, you might want to move him into oh. the tier that's described as average. Okay, not above average is 50 on a proverbial grading scale. He's like a 55. That so still why? Means so if, average. if 16 is average by your standard, then why is number 16 in the above average category? That doesn't make because any sense. Because oh. 32 divided by two is 16. Thus, 16 is the median. Thus, 16 is probably around average in terms of talent level. If if we're going to discuss the math of things, then that would mean that if 16 is a little bit above average, then 17 is a little bit it's below not, average. Do average. you think there's no such thing as an as a truly average quarterback? 16 is average for all intents so and then, purposes. So then put him in. So then put him in the category that's described as average. The other thing is Mitchell Trubisky is not a good quarterback. But to no, put, he's the worst. To put him behind guys who have not taken a single snap yet, or guys who have been perennial backups and or not good. I mean, this dude is two years removed from the third seed in the NFC in a division around in the playoffs. I mean, I understand so much that. For that. I understand. He gets too much credit. I agree. I understand he's a piss poor quarterback. He is not good at most skills that you need to be good at to be a quarterback. But I think he does. He, at the very least, based on his track record alone, deserves to be ahead of specifically Drew Locke. That's the one that I, that I noticed and was like, wait a minute, that's probably not right. Other than that, uh, 
I don't really, I don't really have too many gripes with it. I think I, everything I else just, is rather good. We'll get into Prescott and Wentz. So, but the big one here, I don't know. I've, I've never heard anybody actually defend Mitch Trubisky like this. The man is the worst starting quarterback in the NFL, and there are clearly backups who are superior to him that would be starting on his own team. In fact, I've, there probably is one. I'm defending him in the sense that I don't think he should be too irrelevant to care and should instead be put oh, in no? wild cards. Or, if you don't think Mitch Trubisky is irrelevant, then I'm sorry, William. You're losing credibility. Mitch, Trub- Mitch Trubisky oh, is a quarterback my, for a team yeah. that's competing for a playoff spot in a division title. Am I wrong? No, the Bears have no, no chance at making the playoffs as long as he's running the show. Now, if he's not, that, not running the show, maybe a different question. But you know what? As long as he's running the show, they have zero chance. I'm, I'm the, I'll be the first one to tell you that I don't think Mitch Trubisky is a quarterback worth anything, but I do think at least what he's done in the past is worth consideration ahead of dudes like, like Drew Locke and perennial backups. I understand there are may backup I, quarterbacks. Yes, Tom, you have a finger up. Yeah, may I once more? This is the – so this is based on if you had to pick quarterbacks, essentially almost like in a fantasy-style draft. You know, if I had 32 teams, you know, what would be the order I'd pick them in? Which, are you here to tell me that there are not 36 quarterbacks you'd pick above Mitch Trubisky? There are less than that. There are, what, only 28 you'd pick above him? I, I see the quarterbacks that I've put above him. I see Haskins. I see Brissett. I see Minshew, Fitzpatrick, Foles, and Dalton. None of those guys are good NFL quarterbacks anymore. But personally, I trust them much more than Trubisky. Wait, did you say Gardner Minshew's not good anymore? He's been in the league for like two years, man. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> side, sidestepping that. If, if, if the argument, the argument that you just made is, is essentially if you're taking a fantasy draft, uh, why, would, why would you pick a backup in a fantasy draft instead of a starter? No, it's, it's pick him schoolyard style, you know, 1 through gotcha. 32. It, you know, perhaps my phrase was <laughs> off, you know, schoolyard style. Listen, when, when oh, it comes down that. to it, men are lined up on the football field and you've got to point at them and bring them to your team. This is the order I'm bringing them. So, so, so like kickball style. Is that what we're doing here? Yes. We're on okay. the I, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to come off as some Mitchell Trubisky sympathizer. I'm literally advocating <laughs> for him. I'm advocating for him at 31st and not 36. The guy's terrible. But I think he at least deserves a little bit more recognition than you've given him. Oh my goodness. As long as he's running the show, they have no chance to sniff the postseason. That's We're arguing at. between like 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 irrelevancy versus just enough that you're not completely irrelevant. Like that that's what this conversation is. Mitchell Trubisky's horrible, but he's not below some of the guys you put him below. Oh, that's what I'm trying to say. That being said, he is below most people you've put ahead of him. But there are two or three that I looked at when I first saw the list. I was like, that's probably, that's probably selling them a little bit short. It is hard. It is hard to sell Mitch Trubisky short because there's hardly anything to sell on in general. But I think wow. you sell Mitch Trubisky I, I a little bit short. I don't understand this. That you, you're not even, you don't even like the guy. I don't understand how you can. It's called being an objective analyst, Tom. Oh, man, he's bringing out the objectiveness. I barely right throws now. 200 yards a game. <laughs> he had 17 touchdowns over a full season, which is beyond abysmal. <laughs> he, can, he, he doesn't have any talent really whatsoever. Jeez, if you're if you're a Trubisky family member and you're listening to this podcast, you're definitely going to call in, or you're probably well, never going to listen to this again. Call me personally, and we can talk this out. 
Uh, <laughs> no, no, I don't. He's not going to talk this out with you. <laughs> he's got more important things to do. On Jordan's rundown, he said aim for 40 to 60 minutes. I think he'd rather not waste 25% of it on Mitchell Trubisky. So if we want to get to Wentz versus Prescott now, we can. Because I don't think Tom and I are going to come to any sort of agreement. All right. Okay. I'm going to say this. Um, we not only just looked at the list, like the name of the segment was, we did heavily just debated this list. And I really enjoy this list, except for the fact that I'm going to defend your point about what you said about Lamar Jackson being below the three of them, and here's why. I think the top three of those quarterbacks are MVP caliber quarterbacks. They've all won MVPs, they've all won Super Bowls, and they've all really showed themselves in the biggest moments. I haven't seen Lamar Jackson do that yet, which makes me believe that's why he's in number four. That well, being are, said, we, are we talking about talent right now or track record? Yeah, yeah, okay. That's a fair point, too. And that Aaron Rodgers threw two interceptions last year. That is a man who treasures the football. Russell Wilson works with a patchwork offensive line and makes that team competitive. They do so much with so much less. That's why they're ahead of Lamar Jackson, who can't win a playoff game. I, I strongly disagree. Jordan, continue. Okay, uh, but that being said, I think Lamar Jackson can get to that point and can be great in the postseason. All he just needs is to really find the game that he plays in the regular season because he hasn't found that yet when he's played the Chargers and last year when he played the Titans. So I hope he does find that because I want to see him succeed. All, so <laughs> All I will say is – sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. But all I will say is if we're going based off of talent on today, August 3rd, 2020 – uh, the players themselves voted Lamar Jackson as the best player in the NFL. I think that's well, where it were we're talking about talent. Win. If we're talking about talent, the players think Lamar Jackson is the best quarterback in the league. Well, I wow. think we could all say that was a travesty of a vote. I, I trust Aaron Donald and J.J. Watt over Tom Krasnowski. <laughs> Aaron Donald, J.J. Watt, both monsters who are ready to sack the quarterback. Player. Tom Krasnowski, a – aspiring journalist from from what he calls central new jersey sitting on his bed analyzing why lamar jackson is not the top player voted in the league amazing i love that that's how well, i analyze that's better one. than carson wentz oh i, I disagree i disagree explain why one. explain why i disagree one because my oh. favorite phrases is treasure the football and it's that's what dak prescott does in comparison to carson wentz now carson wentz and dak prescott don't have the same kind of weaponry, okay? I'm going to put that out there. That's okay. I'm not going to penalize Dak Prescott for that, for using uh, the weaponry he has. I threw for 4,900 yards last year, an incredible total. Uh, has less career turnovers than Carson Wentz in more games, mind you, and still put up 30 touchdowns, and he can run a little bit. Guy works with what he's got, and he's got a lot more than Wentz. I understand that, but – you know, I think Prescott is a guy that I just – I trust him a little bit more when it comes to decision-making, and that's the most important thing for me. I think Wentz is a better thrower of the football. You know, he's, he probably has the – he definitely has the higher ceiling. But right now, I just trust Prescott a little bit more. And my own little warm security blanket that I got here with Prescott compared to Wentz's uh, rash unpredictability, I'd wow. go with Prescott. But, again, we're only debating one spot here. It's eight and nine. But yeah, but it's, 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 it's rivals. Right. That yes. is rivals. If Carson, Wentz, if Carson Wentz had Ezekiel Elliott and the Cowboys offensive line, we'd be talking about him as a top five quarterback in the NFL, guaranteed. Carson Wentz was a top five NFL quarterback. Dak Prescott was never a top five NFL quarterback. Doesn't matter. Wentz is out now. He's number nine. He's not, he'd mm. even be there. Wow. If we get Jonathan Banks in this podcast, oh boy. You know, Jordan, who do you think is better, Dak Prescott or Carson Wentz? 
I uh, here's what I'm going to say. I think it's Carson Wentz, and here's why. I think when I look at them both watching their games, I see Carson Wentz being bigger, having a lot more mobility, having a lot more arm strength, and just natural overall talent. And on top of that, I think he's better because of what he's able to do with the weapons that he had last season, like Greg Ward Jr. and Trey, whoever else was their tight end at the time. Oh, yes. What did he do with those? With, with that, what, how he did to the playoffs when they Carson, weren't even Carson, supposed to be Carson there? Wentz, Carson Wentz played with literally a practice squad receiving core and still won the division. What did he do to raise his game in those big games? I did not see any of what? that. I saw him beating One. three peewee squads the Redskins, and the Giants twice. Those are not NFL football teams. They had worse talent on oh defense. My well, well, actually, it's the Washington football team. Yeah. Oh, yes. Got him. <laughs> that, is, that is a slip of the tongue. The now Washington football team. They were formerly that name, but we will call them the Washington football team. The Washington football team, mind you, and the New York Giants, three of those four games that they had to play to win the division, it's peewee football. It's barely even – equivalent to an expansion team i don't i don't know how you can discredit what carson wentz did last year for beating quote peewee football teams when dak prescott consistently finishes nine and seven he doesn't even beat those teams and carson wentz does and you're discrediting it because they're not good enough i'm just gonna say with the weapons that dak prescott has and an amazing offensive line that he has he has a good defense a sneaky good defense yes they have amari cooper they had now they have cd lamb they had michael gallup they had zeke they had jason Witten. they had also really good tight ends like blake jarwin and still something was holding them back and and i'm not gonna say all of it was dak because it wasn't but i'm not also but dak i think also plays a part and having to elevate those weapons just as well as Carson Wentz did with the people that he had. That's what gives me the the edge to Wentz. One final point here on what could have possibly been holding them back and how went, uh, uh, excuse me, Prescott did not do enough with his weapons. Do you know which team had the most offensive yardage last year? Do you know which Dallas team has a real running back and a real receiving core? Oh, they also had uh, the second most passing yards. Oh, who could that be? And the most offensive, uh, offensive oh, yards total, most per game, over 430. Clearly what's holding them back was a lack of ability to close games on defense and Jason Garrett's inability to be a head coach. I think he's a good offensive coordinator. I do too. I actually agree he with you for his head as a head coach. He was clearly overwhelmed last year. And he let a couple of games slip away with decision-making that was subpar. So I, I, I see nothing but great numbers for this Dallas and Dak team. And I think with a more – trustworthy and uh, experienced head coach i think you're gonna see his turnaround here i'm saying like i I don't disagree that statistically dak prescott is an excellent quarterback but i think you're not paying enough attention to the fact that a they have an excellent run game which in turn will boost the passing game because the defense needs to respect ezekiel Elliott. that will open up space down the field and amari cooper plus who is their second wide receiver? I don't. I didn't follow much football in the past five or six months. CD Lamb. That, and um, CD Lamb will just we... inherently be like like take Carson Wentz and drop him into Dallas, and you're going to seriously tell me that Dallas is not a better team? I'm gonna. Since when do we penalize quarterbacks for having talent around them, which is actually just being good executives and making good decisions? I don't think we penalize Peyton Manning for having Marvin Harrison to throw to and having Jeff Saturday anchor an offensive line. I don't think we said, oh, he's not better than Brady because he had better weapons. No, Peyton Manning was a better quarterback than Brady in his, in his prime in terms of just this, this – in, in terms of ranking-wise, I, I think at least. 
there there's a difference between penalizing for having better weapons and discrediting somebody because the other person's stats with those weapons are a little bit better. Oh man. So I, you know, I think this is a good time to say that we're, I think we continue this at school. This is good. Uh, this is a good I, second. I right say here. my London's finest boys, Banks and Andrew, you guys know I'm fighting for you tooth and nail here. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll go no, down with them first. I hope and they listen this week because they you do really have their back. One more disclaimer. Fine. You all know I'm a Giants fan here. I don't like personally when I'm playing against them. My team is, I don't like either quarterback because they're yeah. my, on my team's rivals, yeah. but you know, I've seen, I, I just, I trust Prescott a touch more than Wentz right now. And, you know, I don't want this to be construed as, you know, I'm abandoning my fanship by, uh, by going all out for one guy. That's not what it is here, but uh, they, they're number eight, number nine. And uh, before we know it, Daniel Jones is going to be the best quarterback in the division. Before we know, I I do wow. need to show Tom some love though because even despite his Giants fandom, he he tapped into his objectivity and admitted <laughs> that Sam Darnold right now is a better quarterback than Daniel Jones. I do respect that, Tom. I do need to give you stick test for that. Do Do you remember Will? You might not. Uh, you won the Sam Darnold over uh, over Saquon. I did. He was Darnold was number one on my draft board yeah. in seventeen. We'll see what wow. happens. Hopefully, wow. hopefully uh, this, this relatively revamped offensive line gives him some more time to, uh, to actually make something happen. Donald was number one on my draft board. We'll see. Look at you. Yeah. Something well, Tom and I both agree on. Tom and Will entering the Wolves' den this week, ready to debate. And that wasn't looking at the list. Like I said, that was debating the list and sort of deflating the list a little bit. But the list was good. I really thought that list was good. But something that hasn't been so good is the MLB. And it's back. And it's been back. But the problem with it being back is like Will said before, they're not playing in a bubble. And so the first thing that happened because of them not playing in a bubble were the Nationals refusing to play in Miami because of the Marlins COVID-19 outbreak. And they voted as a team to not travel to Miami. Then the MLB and White Knight Rob Manfred stepped in and said, nope, Marlins games are postponed through Sunday. They haven't played since. And then – we had the Phillies games postponed due to two people in their organization testing positive. I can update you right now today. The Phillies have really good protocols. Everyone's fine. No positive tests. They're going to play Tom, Will, and my Yankees two nights. Also, the Cardinals and Brewers game got postponed due to Cardinals Stafford testing positive. And then after that, I believe I got an ESPN notification 54 minutes ago that says the Cardinals and Tigers four-game series is postponed now. 13 members of St. Louis organization tested positive for COVID-19. So whoever wants to go first, this has just spiraled into the worst situation that MLB did not want to have to face. And it's that teams are contracting the virus and it's forcing them to have to adjust the schedule on the fly. I think here the key is that this is not something that can be blamed on any one person uh, or any one side here. Because I saw that Manfred went at the Players Association and said, you need to do a better job of enforcing the protocols. And the Players Association also, and that's true, the players also have a right to be telling the owners in the uh, ownership group, you didn't set very good protocols anyhow. Mask wearing is the way to prevent the coronavirus. Baseball is not the high energy sport that basketball, hockey, or football is. It is not difficult to wear a mask playing baseball, at, at the very least on the dugouts that you're acquired uh, or when you've got a guy on first base or you're at bat. I mean, that, that, that's why these things spread. And the point from ownership to players is true, too. You know, the fact that there's rumors that the Marlins were maybe partying in Atlanta, I don't know if that's been proven, but there were rumors about that. 
I don't know how, you know, it's spreading so rampantly. You know, they need to do a better job following the, 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 the protocols, but the protocols themselves were suspect. And it sort of is depressing because baseball was my first love as a sport. And it's, it's difficult knowing that, not knowing when your team's going to get postponed, when these games are going to happen, and just keep seeing all the embarrassments for them when the other leagues are doing great. Yeah, Tom makes a really good point um, in regards to, to Miami about how uh, you really can't blame any one party, but there are these rumors about the Marlins maybe not taking it as seriously as they should have going out on the town. Um, and while that hasn't been proven, what has been proven is that the Marlins and Don Mattingly knew for a fact that two players had tested positive for coronavirus before their series with the Phillies even started. And they said, screw it, let's go play anyway and not tell anybody. That, I believe, has been, has been confirmed as true. And the rest of the league, rightfully so, is pissed off at the Marlins for completely disregarding the protocol. Um, everything else, I'll, I'll yield to redundancy because Tom basically said everything that I wanted to say. But I do want to add one thing here uh, that, that I think affects all of us specifically as, as student journalists and in sports is I think the NCAA is watching what's happening in the MLS, M MLB very, very closely because the way the MLB is structuring their schedule and more importantly, their travel is what uh, the NCAA is trying to do when fall sports resume again. And what I mean by that is MLB is doing division only schedules. NCAA wants to do conference only schedules as opposed to playing in some sort of bubble. Obviously you, you can't bubble collegiate athletes because they need to get their education somehow. Um, unless everything moves to online, which is a completely different conversation that we won't get into. But I think the NCAA is watching very closely what's happening in the MLB because the two uh, uh, schedule structures overlap each other quite a bit. And if it's not working for the MLB, you have to wonder if the NCAA is going to take some sort of action to prevent the same thing from happening to their own athletes. Um, again, amazing point right there by Will. And he's the type of guy that's all over when Rich Enzer, Matt Commissioner, makes a move. He's the first guy to tweet about it. You already know it's I got him on speed, though. Rich Enzer impression for us? Oh, my God. So a quick anecdote here. Um, former Quinnipiac now um, students, Peter Dewey, Logan Reardon, Connor Roche. I doubt you're listening to this, but how are you doing? Hopefully you're staying well and everything. Called me one night when I was in a friend's room, and, and they, for some apparent reason, did a Rich Enzer impression to me. And they were like, bleh, 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 or something like that. I don't know. But they literally did that noise to me on the phone, and I don't understand why that is. And it gets Tom all in a ruckus. <laughs> yes, because Jordan told me that's how this man sounds, and that's how he talks. And I've heard Rich Enzer once. I think it was probably at the Mac uh, <laughs> when it was at here for the soccer game. But he didn't sound like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why uh, they did that, but I love those three guys. And, and they're well on their way to doing some successful stuff in media, especially Logan doing stuff for the Seahawks and actually taking some stuff on NASCAR. I did not expect to see that, but good for him. But yeah, Will making a really good point here. And there's two people I'm blaming really quickly before we move on. I'm blaming the Marlins. I could care less if they went to Magic City. Don't go to Magic City, okay? Don't get those wings. There's only for Lou Williams. He needs to go there. The Mar but in all seriousness, the Marlins have to know better. Being in a situation that you are and being a team – in a sport that's coming back and risking their health to do this, knowing that you have all that at stake and still making the decision, not only to rumoredly going out and partying, but then knowing that you have three players infected and then still play the game against the Phillies and intentionally kind of screw them over a little bit from playing any baseball games from a week. I blame them for that and their poor, poor management by Don Mattingly right there. Secondly, I blame Rob Manfred because if he wants to step in here like a white knight and say, this needs to be managed better. I'm like, well, you need to set up protocols better. You need to do 
you're part two. It's not just the players. Sure, the players need to step up and need to wear masks more and need to do what they need to do and not enough for wearing masks. I agree with you there, Tom. But Rob Manfred is just saying, okay, you guys go out there, do what you got to do. I'm, I'm just going to be here and, and oversee in my office and call me if you need me type of thing. He's not really being out there and having their back, I feel like, as much as I feel like he, a commissioner should, like I see with Adam Silver. Because what I see with Adam Silver – He's got the NBA players back. Anytime they have a problem, it's resolved pretty quickly. And with Rob Manfred, I cannot say the same. So he needs to step up too. But you guys make excellent points. If there's nothing else you want to add on that, we'll move on to a brouhaha that I really want to talk about. But anything you got more you got to say? I, I just – I absolutely agree with what you said about Rob Manfred and how uh, it, it almost feels as if uh, the guy – it, it almost feels as every branch of the MLB needs to operate independently to yeah. make these plans work. And then Manfred is the one who says, get your, can I curse in this podcast? I don't know if I can. Uh, I'd say, you could Man, say, the one saying, say you're saying. Man, Manfred's the one saying, get your stuff together when really Manfred should be the one establishing at least the basic guidelines of these protocols and allowing the MLBPA and individual organizations to expand upon that, as opposed to just kind of looking down in a bird's eye view and say, do this, do this, do this. You're not doing it well enough. League's going to be over if you don't change. For sure. Well, that's for not sure. how a chairman runs an organization, is it? It's Will? not. No, it's not. Certainly. For sure. That they need to. He needs to be more, a little bit more, like on top of the players and the everyday operations, instead of saying what he feels like needs to be heard. He needs to like do some more action and things of that nature. But we're gonna move on to something that he did make action on, and one of them I actually don't really agree with. But it is a brouhaha between. We all know what happened with the Astros. Nothing. Nothing more needs to be said about the sign stealing and the Dodgers, a team who got, who has lost the world series, I believe two or three times in a row and a player who wasn't even on that team, but still got outed by the Astros on the Red Sox is Joe Kelly. And what happened in their game against the Dodgers or against the Astros was Dodgers pitcher, Joe Kelly threw some cheddar behind the, uh, behind Alex Beckman and Carlos Correa's head. And they didn't like that. And Ultimately, this ended up in both benches being cleared because of the history and, and because Joe Kelly throwing 96-mile-an-hour fastballs behind Correa and Bregman's head. And ultimately, both dugouts got into it. No physical violence or anything. Dave Roberts was, of all people, the one to stand in the middle of everybody, paint his flag down and say, nope, not going to happen. Both teams go back to their dugout. That's exactly what happened. But the MLB saw this. They suspended Joe Kelly eight games. Dave Roberts got suspended one before I go and say what I think. I feel like Tom's got a lot to say for this one. I feel he's always really gung ho when it comes to fights and how he feels about those sorts of things. So Tom, I'm letting you go first. It shouldn't, you guys don't need a reminder how I feel about the Astros. I think that is one of the lowest uh, examples of uh, I've ever seen in sports in terms of cheating. It's been so blatant. It was so, it was so elaborate. That was the problem for him. Yeah. How elaborate, how well thought out it was, which, you know, it sounds great until you get caught. And the complete lack of remorse from Houston, uh, other than like a canned apology. And that, that, that now we all know they're going to get theirs and they deserve it. I want everybody to hit Houston. Um, but if you're going to do it, you need to do it right. And my one gripe here with Joe Kelly is he didn't do it right. He threw 95 at a guy's head. And another one, I almost truly believe the one to Correa could have slipped because Joe Kelly's not known for his control anyhow. But right. the one to Bregman was absolutely on purpose. No, it and was intentional. It's about as intentional I've ever seen a pitch. The ribs. You hit a guy on his rear. Uh, you don't throw at the legs, the knees. You don't throw at the head. You're trying to hit somebody. So for that, Kelly did deserve suspension. Eight games is still too long. 
because problem here is Houston didn't really get penalized that much for their issues. And Kelly gets penalized more in terms of suspension than any Astros did. So it was handled poorly by MLB suspending Kelly. Kelly didn't do the best job of it either. It was a whole big mess. And, uh, you know, like I said, the Astros are going to get theirs. They, they know it's coming and they do deserve it, but do it right. Plunk Bregman on his rear or between the ribs. Don't do it at his head. We don't need anybody injured for this. Yeah, uh, first and foremost, Joe Kelly for president. Let me go on the record and say that. Oh, no. <laughs> but it should be said, uh, Tom is right. Kelly did deserve a suspension. Wow, we've had a record on Tom is right. So at least this is four. weird. Yeah, this yeah. Is weird. you know what? I'm, I'm not going to say Tom is right when I answer, so we're going to stop it right there. <laughs> um, no, Joe, Joe Kelly uh, did deserve a suspension. It is a bit of a weird scenario because Joe Kelly is getting suspended and he's getting a harsher punishment than any of the Astros players did, uh, like Tom said. It's a little bit difficult to compare the two situations just because the Astros technically and according to reports were guaranteed immunity, whatever the hell that's worth, in the eyes of the MLB front office. Not really sure uh, uh, what, what that means other than if anybody throws at you, they'll get suspended, and that's exactly what happened. Um, that being said, eight games in a 60-game season is the equivalent of 22 games in a 162-game season, and that is absolutely absurd. Um, I understand that in a situation like this where, like Tom said, Joe Kelly is throwing at Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa's head, uh, that's not a one- or two-game punishment. That should be significantly more than that. Uh, but in a regular 162-game season, you're not seeing Kelly get 22 games for that. You're seeing him get 10 or 11 max, and that would be the equivalent of three or four in this uh, shortened 60-game season. So um, I'm not thrilled. Uh, don't even get me started on the Dave Roberts suspension. I don't think that made any sense at all. Um, I'm also uh, not too pleased by the way Houston reacted. I haven't been any pleased with anything Houston has done ever yeah. since, uh, since the, these reports came out. But you've got Houston journalists and, and beat reporters who are supposed to be quote, uh, objective to an extent, uh, but more importantly, uh, a little bit professional. And you've got them all over the place flaunting about how, oh, Joe Kelly threw at Correa, but guess what? We still got that trophy, so kiss our rings. Uh, that's not a very journalistic thing to no. say on a public medium. So I'm, I'm not pleased at all by anything Houston has done, but the sky is blue and water is wet. So what are you gonna do? <laughs> Joe, Kelly, uh, Joe Kelly didn't deserve eight games. He deserved three or four at the max. Uh, but it's just a bit weird that Kelly gets eight games, Dave Roberts gets one game, and the Astros get – uh, I think the way I phrased it was, uh, quote, just don't do it again from the front office. It was a little bit weird, but, you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. And that clip will live long. Uh, 50 years from now, we're going to be seeing that clip uh, if, yep. if uh, this Astros scandal becomes uh, something that we remember in the long term, which it certainly will. So 2021, gentlemen, keep in mind, you're going to be showing your 2071. You're going to be showing your kids videos of Joe Kelly throwing Alex Bregman's head. I'm also going to show kids my videos of Joe Kelly going like this. You can't see it, but. <laughs> yeah, 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 that was that, funny. That I don't was, care. That was funny. Yeah, that was hilarious. Tom. Oh, I thought you were saying something. Okay, but oh no, no, I was sticking my tongue out. Oh, <laughs> okay. No, I'm sorry, but yeah, no, Will. What you said, especially journalistically, that's a really good point. Like, I watch MLB Central every morning, and Robert Flores is a huge Houston fan because he's from Houston, Texas. He was the only one that was really objective about it. I, I listened to what he said, and he said that basically what you just said that the Astros what they did was wrong, but what Joe Kelly did was wrong as well. And I agree with that. It was. You don't throw at someone's head. He should have gotten four games. I'm going to make a quick point about Dave Roberts. Why the hell was he suspended? He's the one who stood in the middle of the field, mask on between all the players, saying stop it, 
get to your dugouts. Are they suspending him because they think he told Joe Kelly to do this? No. Joe Kelly is a smart guy. He's doing this because he was on the Red Sox. Maybe smart Okay. Yeah, maybe a different word is. He has a very good memory, okay? He's a vengeful guy. Vengeful. Vengeful. And he remembers what Houston did to the Red Sox. He did this on his own. There was no Dave Roberts involvement here. The fact that Dave Roberts got suspended for a game is something I completely disagree with. He did not deserve a suspension. He was the right guy doing the right thing. There was no suspension needed for Dave Roberts. But besides that, I agree with all you guys. I believe Joe Kelly did deserve punishment. And who's ever listening to this and says I'm wrong, well, you can screw yourself, I guess. I don't know. But... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I should have went. Yeah, that let him know. But honestly, it, difference of opinion, we'll agree to disagree. I, I think that Joe it's Kelly. It's a lot different from what you just said. I don't know <laughs> why. I said, I don't know why it's looking that far. I couldn't think of anything else to say. That was a little bit too much there. But um, we'll move on and we'll skip over some stuff just to keep things moving along about the Marcakis opt-in, which is really interesting, and the Kluber being shut down. That's going to be a big loss for the Rangers. But one thing I want to talk about before we move on to the open-ended segment, I'm going to leave for the NBA, NHL, is the ON assessment situation for the Mets. And I said on Twitter yesterday that I've never seen the Yankees and the Mets have polar opposite days like they did yesterday. We had the Yankees winning in huge fashion, Aaron Judge homering in five straight games, being a beast of a hitter, and just being that face of the team that the Yankees really need. The Mets, oh boy, they started off the day thinking they were going to the ballpark and the ON assessment was going to show up. Then middle of the day, they were at the ballpark and the ON assessment did not show up. And they couldn't find him. They didn't know where he was. And it, obviously, I don't want to hear that. I, I, I obviously, he, everyone wanted to know if he was okay, if he was safe. And then Ken Rosenthal came out and said, you know, an assessment of safety was not in danger, so he was okay. Then the Mets and Brody Van Wagenen sent a statement before that saying about Cespedes, we haven't found him. It sounded very om- ominous. And I don't know if that was really needed before that. But afterwards, they said, essentially, you know, an assessment packed his bags and he went home maybe to his ranch. I don't know. Cause he opted out and he opted out of the season and that's a big loss for the Mets. But what's even bigger is how this was handled by the organization and how assessment has handled this. And Tom, I'm going to you again. Cause you're someone who's very big on discipline and righteousness. That's you. That is you. You can't just deny that. So go, go first. Well, let's just get out of the way here. Cespedes's desire to opt out to, out of COVID fears is totally valid. That isn't right. the problem here. Um, you, know, you know, I don't know about his medical history or his family's, and maybe he just doesn't feel safe. He's had I a lot of injuries. It. Now, that aside, he handled this the worst possible way and proved himself to be a bad teammate. And this is not the first yeah. time we've heard that Cespedes could be a little bit selfish or not the best teammate. You need to tell your organization directly, not even through an agent. You need to tell them directly that you're opting out it just it's what you do you you can't just stop going to work you can't just you you owe it to your teammates as well they they can't just find out you're missing have no idea where on god's green earth you are you know we because the you know they don't they don't know they know nothing it was a really poor look for cespedes and as far as his future is concerned i mean this just about does him in i think that's the way he wants it he's made his money he's had he had a good career um i don't think that he was into it anymore, uh, you know, given the circumstances. And just he handled it so poorly that it just, it brings an end to this bizarre Mets experience. I mean, I remember my first day at, at SNY, Sportsnet New York, the Mets station, my first day there, 
we had the Brody Van Wagenen press conference where he said, I believe verbatim, he did not fall off the horse. He just fell into a hole. And like that just <laughs> that should never that should never be uttered out of a gentleman's mouth. <laughs> and Cespedes can go back and chase all the wild boars he wants. And, uh, you know, because his MLB career, as far as I'm concerned, it's done. His reputation is tattered uh, after this whole display. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, before Will goes, like, all Mets fans were in doubt to Yoannis Cespedes for what he did in 2015. I don't know a Mets fan that doesn't like Yoannis Cespedes on their team. But now it's going to be a sour tune for all these Mets fans for Yoannis Cespedes for leaving their team high and dry when you have guys like Nimmo, Conforto, DeGrom, Mats, you name it. They're all showing up to the ballpark. They're all giving their best. McNeil as well. And they're all trying. And the fact that Yoannis Cespedes – and, and this is how this seems, and this is how I'm picking it up. The fact that he was there every game and just at the drop of a hat when the Mets lose 10-1, to 1, say, you know what, I'm done. I don't want to be a part of it. You finished the season how you started the season. You were hitting home runs, the and Cespedes, and you were flaunting and celebrating with that neon armband. You can't just drop everything like a hat and just leave and leave your team in the dust now in the field like that. I don't like that. So, Will, you can go. What's, what's so impressive for me, and and – what makes this situation so unique, uh, we didn't think the Mets could do it, guys. We thought that it was physically impossible for any organization to do this. But it was handled the worst possible way by the player, as Tom has already laid out, but also by the team. I mean, when have we ever looked at a situation like this and said that both parties did the worst possible thing you could have done? The Mets released the statement. It was around, what, 10, 11 a.m. Eastern time? Uh, maybe, maybe around noon, say that UNSS, but we can't away. find him. What? I think the game was underway. I, it, that might have been, truthfully. It, it could have been, been, been closer to 1-1-30. Regardless, the statement said, uh, we can't find Cespedes. We have no idea where he is. We can't contact him. They knew that releasing that statement uh, sounded very ominous, with, absolutely without a doubt. We find out an hour later from, I believe it was either uh, Healy who, who reported or Decoma or somebody uh, said that the Mets have no reason to believe that Ioannis Cespedes' safety is in danger, which says to me and says to so many other people on Twitter, at least from what I saw, why release the statement in the first place? It almost felt as if the initial statement the Mets released essentially implying we have no idea where Ioannis Cespedes is uh, and we haven't been able to contact him. I'm sure they understood the undertone to that uh, is is pretty significant and pretty dangerous. And then to, to an hour later say, yeah, all that, but we don't really know. Uh, or we don't think he's in danger. Well, A, if you don't think he's in danger, then why release a statement in the first place? And B, how do you know he's not in danger if, like you said, you can't contact him at any time? As somebody phrased it on Twitter as it almost felt as if the first statement was meant to shame Ioannis Cespedes after we found out the Mets don't think he's in danger. I tend to agree with that. Um, and then obviously we're hearing conflicting reports on what happened after uh, the Mets are saying that Cespedes didn't opt out until two or 3 PM when they finally were able to chase his tail down and, and, and ask, say what's going on. Cespedes, I believe through his agent said that they had told the Mets earlier and packed their bags and left. We're hearing conflicting things, but uh, this is impressive guys. Uh, the, the Mets have managed to find a way to, to do this, which I think uh, is something that you couldn't have fathomed even for a team that has managed to go zero and three, uh, in their last three games when they very likely should be 3-0. Uh, it, it's impressive how, how the Mets have, have gone about the situation, along with Cespedes, because both of them have – both of them get an F from me 
in regards to how they handle the situation. But it was uh, it was weird. It was a weird six hours, and I know my Mets fan friends will agree. That that's for sure. Will the only thing I want to say about that is that I think they could have left off the last sentence. The um, yeah, yes. our contact efforts to reach him have been unsuccessful because that is what made it ominous. I don't right. have a problem with them coming out with a statement saying we don't know where he is and the game started. You know, because that. That is, I mean, it's, it's true. I don't know where he is. The game started and, you know, like, you don't show up, you just desert your teammates. I mean, you know, they're just, they can't sit on that news. I mean, people know he's not there. The game's, you know, underway. He's not in the clubhouse. People are going to find that out. So they could have left out the statement, the part of the statement that made it seem ominous. But, I mean, I do think they had to say that he wasn't there. Uh, but, yes, the, the, the wording of the last sentence definitely made it seem a little more uh, advanced. Weird, than, yeah. Yeah, I do agree with you there. Yeah, for sure. And we'll just end it there because like you got, we all pretty much nailed it on the head that the Mets handled this fiasco so much more poorly than need to be handled. Now on the baseball field, we'll see what happens, but it hasn't looked good so far, but I'm going to keep things moving. We'll just talk about the NBA, NHL. We'll disregard the UFC, NASCAR stuff. And then we'll get into Den's daggers and call it a day. Cause we've been on here a long time and I don't want the viewers to stay away from the golden treat that I have for them here and, and the awesome analysis that you guys have been given. So we will now move on to NBA, NHL are back. And I'm going to leave this open-ended to you guys. I want you to tell me some significant moments that you've seen from each of these leagues in the bubble. And I'll just say this first, that no positive tests have been amazing. And it's a formula that means it's proven that it's worked. So that really excites me. And I want you guys to give me significant moments of what you've liked, don't like, because as far as I can see, the games, at least in the NBA standpoint, have been so close and so drama-worth or drama written, it's been awesome. In the NHL playoffs, nothing beats it. So significant moments, you guys go. Tell me. Yeah, I think I think even more than just what's happening on the court or on the ice. Um, a- admittedly, I haven't watched a huge amount of NBA or NHL since the restart, so I don't know how much insight I can provide in that regard. But one thing that I absolutely love that both leagues are doing um, is the way they're stacking the schedule. It feels like March Madness, guys. The Stanley oh, Cup yeah. Finals. We've got a game at 12, 230, 4, 6, 30, 8, 30, and 10. I mean, that is incredible. That feels like the round of 64 in March Madness. I know my hockey friends who, uh, who follow the sport a little bit more than I do are, are having a field day uh, with, with, with this hockey schedule. I, I absolutely love it. I think it's genius. Um, you've got enough affiliated stations to make it work without having to have any games uh, be, be not on national television. They've got NHL Network. They've got NBC. Uh, they've got a few others that they can put their games on. Um, I think that was a, a brilliant marketing move, a genius strategy, especially considering um, – uh, well, actually, I guess that doesn't make any more sense now because the NBA and MLB are both back. But regardless, uh, at a time when we haven't had sports in four months and people who may not be interested in the sport uh, might be a little bit more intrigued by it or people that uh, have, that are diehards and haven't watched in a while need it back, uh, you don't want – to force them to flip back and forth and have to make a a decision. You want to be able to have them sit in front of the couch and watch everything you have to offer, especially in these first couple of days back. So I believe the NBA is doing that too, to a lesser extent. Um, But I know the NHL is doing it. And I think that is absolutely genius. Yeah. And once they sit down on that couch, they've been treated to some great moments. And that's, you know, that, that, that's what makes it even, even all the more fun. So, you know, in, in hockey, we had the, the, the team that Twitter would have us believe is unstoppable and uh, was dipped into uh, the river that Achilles was dipped into and, uh, you know, just left his heel sticking out. Well, yeah, the Rangers <laughs> Achilles heel, just the heel. What? They, must, 
they must have just dipped the ranger's fingers in the river. Yeah, the whole rest of the body is exposed to uh, whatever else is going on oh, here. Thank Carolina. God Steve Pappas is not on this podcast. He would Carolina rip out on the shreds. The Rangers looked like the non-playoff team they quite frankly are. Um, so it's a sweet justice there. We also had a couple upsets, which is fun. 12-seed Blackhawks beat the 5-seed Oilers. 12-seed uh, Canadiens beat the 5-seed Penguins. Now, this is just one game, but what a great way to get started. You know, we had some overtime action. Uh, we had a buzzer beater in hockey, which doesn't happen very often with Nassim Kadri. Uh, Flyers stake their claim to be the number one seed in the East by taking out the team with the most points and doing it pretty easily. Um, Hockey's been great, and with basketball, a lot of close finishes. Uh, that, the first Lakers-Clippers game was pretty great. Yeah. Um, Bucks-Celtics uh, game was a lot of fun. That was down the stretch. Celtics blew a big lead but still hung on. And we're getting big-time performances from the big-time players. And we've been getting a few, you know, kind of bubble boys here, kind of just, you know, coming up out of nowhere and being <laughs> all-stars. Like, you know, T.J. Warren dropping 50 on my Sixers. It wasn't, it wasn't fun, but, you know – it's like we hit the ground running and all the stories are back and everyone's having fun. And, you know, it just, that, 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 that's what's all that matters right now. I don't know how they did it, how they got uh, so great here with the bubble and everybody to buy in and they're following the guidelines, but here we are. And it's a, it's a glorious thing when we have it. Oh, I do God. want to add one more thing too onto that uh, because it's going to fly under the radar by most fans, but I think it deserves to be acknowledged. It is very difficult to make an empty stadium, an empty arena, oh, yeah. uh, look visually appealing on television. I mean, that's Yankee sure. Stadium, the home plate seats are just covered by a tarp. That's what it's they're not, doing that, in most yeah, baseball ugly, stadiums. Yeah. It looks terrible. Fox, is, Fox has resorted to making it look like MLB The Show by putting, putting virtual fans, which I actually think is pretty cool. It uh, is. But I absolutely love the way the NBA has set up their facility to make it visually appealing to viewers on TV. It's a very underrated thing they've done, but they've got the court looks great. Everything else around it is black. So your attention is focused on the court itself. But then when they pan up and you see like the LED screens that kind of line the court with the logos and the players and stuff like that with the ads, uh, it, it, again, it's something under the radar. It's something that not a lot of fans are going to pay much attention to. Uh, but I think the NBA did an exceptional job with uh, making their product look good on TV with no fans there. Cause that's very, very difficult to do. It should be said. Absolutely. My man. And first off Tom bubble boy sounds like the worst boy <laughs> band I've ever seen in my life, dude. <laughs> Bub- I, oh my bubble God. Boys. I can't believe you said that. And it's like SpongeBob's pet coming up next on America's got talent, the bubble boys. That's what Ryan Seacrest would say. What a hell of a reference that was. But anyway, great points, guys. And I'm, I'm loving watching the bubble environment. It's actually a lot of fun, and it's actually more visually appealing than I thought it would be. And the games have been outstanding, like Tom said. So great points on that. I can't wait to watch more. But, Tom, it looks like you got something to say. So what do you got? No, I got oh, I, I thought you do. You're just not on the lawn. Got it. Bubble Jordan, boy. I have a question for you, dude. Sure. I, I have a question for you. What is, what is your hottest take for, uh, for either the NBA or the NHL season as, as they go on? Because you've been asking us a lot of questions, but I want to okay. ask you a question. Okay, hottest hottest take. I or the MLB. Oh my God, hottest take the MLB. Oh, Ooh, I think I know what Jordan's hot take would have been. <laughs> oh, is that about Rio Ruiz? Is that? <laughs> oh no, that no, it's not. Thing. Oh, hold on. What's my hottest take? Yeah, what's your hottest take, just in general? Just spit oh. something out there. Oh, this I is gotta, the segment I... we do on London's finest. 
We do. We do. I got it. Oh, come on. It's coming. It's coming to me right now about the NBA. Champion if the season ends prematurely. <laughs> hmm. I, my, oh, okay. Yeah. That was definitely, that was definitely a big take right there. I, my hottest take is that I, oh my God, I, I have to think of something right here. Bubble team making a run, player going off and winning an award. Hmm. Yeah. I definitely have something there. I said, I think my hottest take is going to be that the Bruins fail miserably. Wow. Hmm. I think. I, I think they're going to lose in the first round. Wow. I think I don't see them. I'm sorry to Brian Murphy. I really like you. You're one of my favorite people to hang out with. But the team I watched out there, and if it's the same team that comes out every single time on the ice, they're not going far in the playoffs. They do not look energetic. They do not look ready to play. Tuka Rask can't do it all. That's not fair to him, even though he's going to probably be a Vesna finalist again, or if he already is, I think he is. So, the to me, that's the take I got right now. I think the Bruins – if they don't change things around, they're going to lose in the first round. They did look really bad against Philly, you're right. So that's what yeah. I got. That's the only thing I got for you, right? Everything else, I mean, I picked Aaron Judge to be AL MVP, and that's looking yeah. amazing. So, yeah. and I texted Tom that, and he picked some very interesting people that I can't remember at the top of my head. Hey, who'd you pick, Tom? I had Rendon as the AL MVP. Oh. Uh, Walker Bueller winning NL Cy Young. Wow. That's bad. I agree. I'll agree with that. Well, I, I did in, in the preseason. Soroka wins the ERA crown. Soroka? Why, um, Soroka? Most home runs is uh, Nolan Arenado. I, I hope for the sake of my fantasy team, I hope that's right. Those I said it was Pete Alonzo, and uh, oh, Nick. boy, oh, boy, was I might be wrong on that. But great talk, guys. Well, thank you for popping the question on me. I definitely felt a little bit London's Finest vibe right there. Absolutely, oh. absolutely. I'm, I want to get you involved, too, with these questions. No, for sure. I'm the host. That's why I want the guests to talk more than yeah. I do, because every week um, the viewers get the pleasure of hearing my, my tune every week and what I have to say. So Love it. Love that, too. Sure. So now we will move on to our last segment, because we've been on here for a long time, and I know I had UFC and NASCAR planned, but I'll catch up on that next week for the viewers. So it's Rattle My Cage. And I've been told, like I said, by our good friends, Jonathan Banks, when I had them on the show, that was the most wildly successful Rattle My Cage I've ever had. Jonathan Banks, the fact that your good buddy of London's Finest said it was a mainstay segment really sweetened my peaches there. So I <laughs> raised an eyebrow from Tom right there. You know what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that reaction was priceless, man. Rattle my cage called Den's Daggers. And basically it's like the sports reporters parting shots. You guys can say whatever you want to say about whatever sport you want. It can be about rock and roll and Tom's pitches playing ping pong for all I care. So rattle my cage. Uh, I'm going to Will first because I haven't gone to him first a lot. Will, you're going first. What do you got? So wait, so this is meant to be uh, like kind of like a, a, like a final roar kind of, or is it meant to yeah, be like a story about you? Yeah, that's a good you. way of saying about it. A final roar. I, okay. I didn't even think of it like that, but sure. Den's daggers. Oh, that's tough. I gotta, I gotta think of one. I got sure. One. Okay, go ahead, Tom. Yeah, I'll, I'll let my, uh, my friend here come up with a uh, something here. Appreciate um, it. I got two. Maybe I'll just do both. Okay. Oh, okay, Tom, go for it. Well, you can go first if you want. Oh, all right. You're so gentlemanly. Um, UFC. Let's talk. We, we, uh, we, we were talking about it. It was planned. We didn't get to it. Quick little uh, spotlight here. Because the lower weight divisions have become the headline uh, for UFC. And, you know, when you think about fighting sports as a casual fan, you always think, you know, the big, you think about heavyweight boxing from way back when. But the lightweights and even down to the bantamweights have become the divisions to pay attention to in the UFC. So lightweight championship is going to come up on October 24th. It's Justin Gaethje and Habib 
uh, going up against each other. Conor McGregor's still in that weight class, and there's a couple other contenders too. I know McGregor retired, but nobody thinks he's actually going to retire. The lightweights have a lot going on. Um, and bantamweight, Frankie Edgar the, from Tom's River, New Jersey, and who has a uh, little bit of a presence here in a town fairly close to me um, over in Hamilton. He's got a uh, cool little gym. Um, Frankie Edgar making the move down to bantamweight, and I think that's a great play for him at this point because Frankie Edgar is known as one of the guys who's been punching above his weight class for quite a while. Scrappy guy from uh, Tom's River, South Jersey. He's a scrappy guy from South Jersey. And uh, you know, Bantamweight's a good move for him because now that uh, Jose Aldo has stepped, uh, relinquished the, you know, the, the, the championship here and uh, retired, Bantamweight's wide open. Dillashaw is still suspended. So make a play here and win one uh, for, uh, for Jersey here. Edgar already had a belt, but he's going for belt number two at Bantamweight. So pay attention to Bantamweight. Pay attention to Lightweight. It's not all about the big boys like it once was back with uh, Brock Lesnar and and uh, Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell. There's still some good heavyweights, but the little guys, they're putting on the show that now. All right. Bantamweight, All right. lightweight, Frankie Edgar, UFC, Hamilton, Andrew Myers, you name it. That was Tom's Den's dagger. And that certainly rattled my cage, but their cages are now rattled. Will, your turn. Here we go. I'm, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to pitch you boys on a sport that uh, you're not familiar with. And oh, that here we you go. might not have any interest in. There is a sport on this planet, gentlemen, that is currently entering one of the most formative years of recent history in this sport. It is a sport that is getting progressively younger. It's the youngest it's been in years, and it's shaping up for one of its most exciting seasons in 2021. Every now and then, it touches down in America, but it's more worldwide. It's not soccer. It's not something like cricket. That sport, gentlemen, is Formula One racing. Wow. Racing racing is a word that instantly turns a lot of people off in America. But let me me try to sell you on this specific style of racing. Because I happened to get into it over quarantine, and I I didn't maybe give it the respect it deserved pre-quarantine, but I watched two races. Instantly, I was absolutely hooked. At the top of the grid, consistently, Lewis Hamilton, one of the greatest racers of all time in the history of the sport. And this is a sport with a very long history. Lewis Hamilton, one of the greatest of all time races for Mercedes. Behind him, Max Verstappen, the youngest race winner in Formula One history at 18 years old. He's currently 21, and he's going to take Lewis Hamilton's throne whenever he leaves. But those aren't the only young stars. You've got Alex Albin, who races for Red Bull, one of the best teams on the grid. Charles Leclerc, who's 20 years old, races for Ferrari already. Uh, Carlos Sainz is a young guy, 24-25. He'll be racing for Ferrari. This is a sport where the three best teams, Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari, five of those six combined seats are going to be 25 or younger. We are seeing a huge, huge youth movement in this sport taking place over, over two or three years. Behind them, Lando Norris is 19 years old. He's the, funniest, he's the funniest British racing driver you will ever meet. The dude is absolutely hysterical. Every now and then, when, when there are live races, they'll, they'll bring you into the conversation between driver and team principal, and the dude's hysterical. Danny Ricardo races for Renault. He's a little bit older, but he's funny as hell, too. Every single time he's on camera, he does something silly. Uh, ju- just last weekend, this was two days ago, Uh, We had the British Grand Prix at the iconic Silverstone track. And let me tell you, that last lap, uh, again, racing is something that doesn't get a lot of Americans excited. But that last lap with tight turns and speedy straightaways and supercars, 
the second place car had a tire pop on lap 51 out of 52. They fell from two to 12. Later on, it was Lewis Hamilton winning the race as per the usual. Max Verstappen pitted because the second place car popped a tire. So Max Verstappen knew he was going to pass him eventually. And the fourth place car was too far behind to pass him the pit lane. Max Verstappen pits and passes second place. Now he's in second place, about 30 seconds behind Lewis Hamilton. The very last lap of this race, Lewis Hamilton, the guy who's been leading the race from first position since the start of the race, blows a tire of his own, and he still has to go half the length of the track. So he's going half speed around this thing. His front left tire looks deflated. You can see on the camera, it's not spinning, guys. He's running on three wheels with Max Verstappen, the 20-year-old Dutch superstar, chasing him down quicker than ever. You can see the interval on the screen from 28 seconds, 22, 18, 15, 14. The announcers are going nuts. Lewis Hamilton finally crosses the finish line five seconds ahead of Max Verstappen. Verstappen picked up 23 seconds on Lewis Hamilton in the last lap of the race because Hamilton blew a tire. And if Max Verstappen hadn't pitted after the second place car blew a tire, he would have run the race by 20 seconds. They're saying it was the mo one of the most craziest endings at Silverstone that the track has ever seen. And that's arguably the most iconic track on the entire schedule. So I know I just went on a long-winded rant about a sport that I'm sure neither one of you two or any listeners are very familiar with, but it's a sport that I have quickly, quickly uh, fallen in love with in four or five months. My dad and I watch the races every single Sunday morning. My dad's not a huge sports fan. So the fact that we both get to watch the races, do something we enjoy uh, every, every weekend, every other weekend, is a, is a lot of fun. And if you are not into racing, I strongly encourage at least checking out a Formula One race because they are always, always exciting. And Will, wow. I have seen an ending uh, quite that impactful before and quite that uh, unexpected. The Dynaco 400. I remember Lightning McQueen. You're right. Uh, oh, yes. my not God. Yeah. We're talking uh, about Formula not, One racing. And almost and blowing a half-track lead, having to stick his tongue out just to get a three-way tie. Yeah, we worked, we worked in two tongue-sticking references out here in uh, on this episode here. So that's yeah, really two, something. One of them was just given to us on a silver platter. And, and also the other one, we're talking about Formula One racing. And yes, first sir. of all, Formula One racing, Lewis Hamilton. I hope your cage was rattled because that rattled my cage and Will's cage as well. So, my, and, my heart is racing, dude. Talking, this is the first time I've ever talked about Formula One to somebody else. And I'm, I'm, I'm so filled with adrenaline. I'm going to go watch a race after this show ends. Awesome. Awesome. Good for you, man. Uh, but the fact that you put in a Lightning McQueen reference after he went on that tangent about Formula One racing was something else, man. That's, got, that's going to be remembered in my mind. But Lightning McQueen is a fun fun guy. And so is Mater. I like Mater. He's not only a fun guy. He's a champion, man. He's, All right. He's a Dynago Cup champion, yeah. He is a Dynago Cup champion. But now we'll move on to my Den's Dagger, which will be a lot shorter, I promise. It won't be too long, but it's going to be about a league that I've been a really big supporter of. And it's kind of um, inevitably failed. Maybe not failed is the wrong one, but inevitably gone away twice. And that's the XFL. And today, the XFL made headlines again as they have connections to WWE. And the WWE chairman is Vincent Kennedy McMahon, of course. And one of his best wrestlers of all time, who is a phenomenal movie star, one of the most jacked human beings on the face of this earth, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He is bought, or now he's a part owner of the XFL, and he bought it for $15 million. And I want to see the XFL succeed. I want to see The Rock be the guy behind this, driving the ship, and giving a different type of football. I'm not saying you should compete head-to-head -head with the NFL, because that's a fight they're not going to win but it should be a different style of football like they did the second time around. 
We should see different things. And it should be a feeder league that players who show up and show out from the XFL can be signed to NFL teams, just like we've been seeing here. So Dwayne The Rock Johnson, the XFL, Vince McMahon, not WWE, because that's a whole different topic for a whole different day. I hope your cage was rattled because that rattled my cage and that was my den's dagger. And that will be that for episode 12 of the Wolf's Den. I first would like to thank Will and Tom for being on here and being on here for a good amount of time because we were on here for a long time, but we had a great time. We always have good chemistry talking to each other. And I also please want to plug a couple more things before we go. And that's my internship. Once again, I am a intern for the New Jersey Jackals. They have had fans in person. Steven Pappas, Will's former roommate, showed up to a game. And he showed up to a game, and he sat there, and he drank a beer on Thursday, and Will has shown me a Sussex County Miners ring. And to that, I say, Jesus. But please, if you can, if you want only, to see – Only one team in Jersey good enough, my guy. We'll see about that. Tom also has his ring from the Allentown Redburns. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but anything to flex a state championship ring for Tom, he's going to do. is my position. We love unreal, unreal. A PA on the ring. I, I can't. I can't even believe how Coach Brian Nice would do that for you. And yes, I know the coach's name. How do you know his first name? This episode's going to be two hours long. It's fine, but I'm going to end. Hold on. So Jackals. $15 per ticket. If you want to come out to Montclair State University, Yogi Bear Stadium, watch a baseball game in person, wear a mask, do that. Also, oh, well, I do the scoreboard. Epic. Yep. Also, I do the scoreboard for A7FL, a new football league that's come back at Yogi Bear Stadium Sunday nights. I did that the last two nights. I don't know if I'll do it again Sunday night, but watch that. LJ Smith, Jack Kabarik, great broadcasting team. Or Jack Bukarik, excuse me. Um, Sunday night, 6.30, 9 o'clock, four teams. You got that. But, again, thank you. Um, please be sure to follow at the Wolf's Den 1 for episode releases at JordanWolf26 on Twitter, Instagram, for my usual self and stuff I like to post. Snapchat, Peel6, it's out there. And Will and Tom, now would be the time to divulge your social medias before I thank the nurses and then finally exit. I can be found on Twitter. Tom, I'm going to go first if that's okay. I'm going to plug my <laughs> socials. Unless you want to go first. Go. Okay. You can find me on Twitter at Will Fowler five. Uh, every, I, I tweet quite a bit every now and then one of them actually gets, uh, gets some laughs. So follow <laughs> if you want, if you want to laugh once every two weeks, also follow me on Instagram, W Fowler 22. And most importantly, uh, I know we, we talked about it a little bit. I'm going to do a shameless plug if that's okay. Uh, me and my two buddies, Jonathan Banks and Andrew Myers, uh, we do our, 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 week, our every weekday soccer show called London's Finest. That can be found at London's Finest QU. Uh, we're streaming every single weekday at 3 p.m. on Periscope. Um, and it's, I think we've, we've done it every single weekday since March 30th, which sounds insane. It's funny, the folder that I have on my computer of all the shows, I have to scroll for five seconds to get to the bottom of it. That's how many shows. It's, it's unbelievable. Wow. I, think, I think we're at like I – think, I think today's show is show number 89, which is wow. awesome. So. Uh, go and uh, go and check us out there at London's Finest QU, and we'll probably be doing shows every weekday until 2026. So, <laughs> all right, Tom, you're up. To follow the account of the one-time state champion PA announcer. Oh follow my at PKR42, and you have Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat for that matter, all at that same address, tcrow42. And uh, I'm not gonna self-promote quite as much, but you know, you want takes, I got them, and they're usually right. And you want high energy, this is where to go. And also one final plug for Overtime Radio. This is sort of an offshoot, if you will, of Overtime Radio um, with 
me and Jordan Wolf and our co other co-host Matt Petrie. We will all be back together in the fall on campus and it's going to be fun. So while we get this little side project going, nice to get part of the band back together and get it all back together in the fall. Follow that at overtime underscore radio for more hijinks of me, Jordan, and our good friend, Matt. For sure. Well, well said, my man. Well said. So that is that for episode 12. Thank you to these nurses for going to these environments and battling this virus. Cause like we said before, it still exists. So just a quick thank you to them as Tom shows the ring and will has his ring. And this episode has now become uh, Lord of the Rings, I guess, if we're going to call it that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that is that for episode 12. Check out episode 13. Maybe I got something for you. And usually 13 is unlucky, but I'm here to tell you. I'm yeah, maybe go straight one. to 14. No, we're going to make like 13 we do in hotels. I'm here to change. I'm here to change that. 13 oh, yeah. will be lucky. Have a great week, everybody. Stay safe. Be healthy.